Hi there, you found Drop the Ball with Gina Kuhn, and I'm so excited to give you the opportunity to join a community of women that realize every day women everywhere are dropping the ball. Let's move past the feeling that we're letting people down and embrace ourselves as the rock stars that we are. Through stories from my personal journey and interviews with imperfectly strong women around the country, I invite you to embrace the idea that you choose the proverbial ball you get to drop. Together, we'll put down the past, let go of the future, and pick up the present. Through reflection and a shift in mindset and priorities, I'll help you redesign your chaos so you can redefine your life. Next time someone asks, how do you do it all? Your answer will be, I dropped the ball. Hi there. Today, Drop the Ball is bringing you our first book review, The Gift of the Unexpected, written by Jillian Benfield. It's subtitled, Discovering Who You Were Meant to Be When Life Goes Off Plan. Even finding myself in a position of reading this book and sharing it with my listeners was unexpected as well as a very dear friend of mine reached out to me and said, hey, I feel that it aligns with your message and you may want to read it. So I opened this up to my listeners and a small group of us read this book together and on Facebook, we went live together and discussed all of the messages and how we interpreted the book. And there were just such strong themes that I felt mean so much to so many people, especially women, especially mothers, that it's a message I want to get out to more of you, whether you've read the book or not. So if you did not read this book, don't turn this off. You may or may not go on to read it after hearing this, but these messages are so strong and so important that they're worth listening to. Now, the main idea behind the book is that Jillian Benfield lived a wonderfully blessed life. She was in the spotlight as a TV journalist. She had a happy marriage, a young daughter, and she found herself in a place where she was no longer in this career that she loved. And her second pregnancy led to a diagnosis of Down syndrome for her second child. All of this happened in a very short amount of time. So in the moment, she felt like life was completely unraveling was filled with grief and the whole process of going through the disappointment and heartache and fear and unknown ultimately transformed her into someone that God knew she was meant to be, but she did not quite know it yet. So for anyone listening who did read the book, I do not have the lived experience to speak to being a mother of a child with Down syndrome. Today's episode is not going to focus on that message. We will speak to it, of course, because it's part of the book, but I'm not here to have a conversation about neuroatypical children today. I will tell you, though, that my listeners have come to me and asked me to speak to life as a mom of children who are neuroatypical, and that is in store for all of us next week. I just don't feel like I have the right to speak to being a mother with a child that is neuroatypical because I am not that mother. So I hear the request and I absolutely see the need to have this conversation because there are so many moms that are looking for guidance, community, and support. Today we'll look at all of the themes that could apply to your unexpected moment. Whatever it is, in Jillian's book, She urges everyone to ask yourself, and I am quoting from the back cover right now, what if the unexpected is the beginning of becoming your truest self? And I do just want to also preface that I will be paraphrasing from Jillian Benfield's book. I will be reading a couple of quotes directly from some of the pages, and I will tell you which pages they are. I want to be sure that it's very clear that I am not claiming these ideas as my own, while I agree with a lot of them and I will branch off of them for our conversation's purposes. So this book is broken down into three different parts, each with a different part of her transformation. Part one is referred to 
as the gift of returning to yourself. Part two is the gift of unexpected transformation. And part three is the gift of unexpected purpose. And one thing I found myself saying every time I went live was she labeled this section perfectly. I said it every time. It really guided the main idea of what we needed to think about. So in part one, the gift of returning to yourself, the message was clear that we had to break through all of the expectations that were put onto us throughout our upbringing in society. This overarching theme carried through the rest of the book, in my opinion. There's so much that's put on us on how we should respond to challenges. And if we don't act according to those social norms, it's a reason to feel guilty or ashamed or want to push away our true intentions and our true thoughts in fear of the repercussions of not conforming. Now, most of my listeners are women in the same age range as me. So I probably don't even have to say anything for you to already identify with the idea of how harmful that is. And I know The majority of the generation of moms raising children right now are working so hard to break a lot of those generational curses and to move past a lot of the stereotypes and the expectations that were thrust upon us for our children now, to give them a bit more freedom to be who they are and to feel what they feel and to be open with us and properly guide them through life. So what Jillian Benfield speaks a lot about is the church that she was raised in. And she's Christian, and she speaks about a time at a camp that she went to where she actually left terrified. She was afraid of who she was and how she felt because the majority of the message was punishment. It was punitive. It was what not to do or you were going to hell and how not to displease God and Jesus because you would not make it to heaven. So very normal things that were going on ended up feeling like they were damning her. And as an adult, when she started to undergo these situations that did not feel like blessings, it was one of the main times that she had to question what she knew. A lot of us, when we're brought up in faith and we're brought up following God and following Jesus, We feel that if you follow God and you have strong faith, positive things will happen. Well, what's on the other side of that then? Logic would tell you negative things can't happen if you're strong in your faith. Clearly, that's not true. We're human. The world is human. Bad things happen every single day. Our lives go off course from what we expect it to look like and expect a blessing to look like. So we have this whole misconception of what it looks like to be blessed and what it truly means to be blessed. We think money, marriage, a home, the children, the career, that's what we're looking for to measure our blessings. And she even quotes a survey where people were asked how they perceive success and relationship status was the largest piece of the response. Personal character was at the bottom. So who we are as people and how we live and how we treat others and our morals was rated the bottom. Now remember, this study was asking Americans how they believe society perceived them. So when you're realizing what the question was, I don't think it's that far off. I do think that society perceives our success by very tangible, shiny objects that we can flash around to say, look at me, I'm a success. So even though I feel that they answered the question correctly, it is a very, very sad day to know that almost half of Americans are walking around feeling like whether they're married or not is the only way that they'll be perceived as successful. And only 5% of Americans feel that society perceives them as successful when their personal character is a good one. It makes you have to stop and think, what 
is driving people's actions on a daily basis? What's the impetus behind all of our interactions with others? Are they worried about how we're going to perceive them? Or are they simply worried about being a good human? Of course, I'd like to think that people I spend time around and spend time with are worried about being a good human. I don't care if they're married. I don't care what car they drive. I need good people around me. And that's something that becomes really clear in part two is that community and the support. But we'll come back to that. Part of the American society, not just Christian, has to do with vulnerability being equated to weakness. A main idea in the book is that she had to undergo the transformation. She had to sit with all of the challenges, live them, feel them, cry through them, experience all of the emotion, question God, and every other step of the way that was on that path in dealing with unexpected news. But that's not what we're often asked to do. She compares the words overcoming versus undergoing. And I just imagine, and I feel like she explains something like this in the book too, but when you hear of someone overcoming a challenge and overcoming an obstacle, you envision a commercial where they show people running up a mountain and making it to the top and throwing their hands up over their head. I really do feel like I'm completely paraphrasing, write something from her book, but it's so true. She said it because it's literally what we're thinking and imagining when we see this. That shaking your hands above your head in celebration as the image of overcoming a challenge. Think about your unexpected moment. Think about the big challenge in your life when you got some of the worst news you've had to deal with. Were you standing on top of a mountain, waving your arms over your head, jumping up and down with a smile on your face? Because I don't think you were. The image that Jillian gives us in the book is that she was on her bathroom floor crying in her shower. That was her moment and that was the undergoing. It's very different. To overcome, she explains, means to suppress something. You're overcoming it because you're pushing it to the side and you're going over it. There's nothing strong about that. It's actually quite ignorant. To think that you became stronger and you overcame something because you simply pushed it down and didn't address it, you were able to turn off all the noise and get back to doing what was expected of you. I'm pretty sure we all know quite a few adults in our lives that are, it's very clear that that's how they've handled their trauma in their life. They still need to undergo it. You need to feel the feels. You need to talk about it. You need to find people that are going to tell you, I've been there too, and this is what we can do together. She says that it's easy to push down these feelings. Overcoming is easier than undergoing because we are so busy. We are in this life where we constantly have to produce. I have to keep taking care of my kids. I have to keep getting to work every day and paying the bills. I have to keep up appearances with people I have relationships with because I owe them something as well. Well, that's why when we're met with something controversial in our life, the easier path is to pretend it's not happening because we have things to do. Whereas undergoing it implies that you are going to need to take some time on your bathroom floor, like Jillian says, just you and that shower and a good cry. And you might not be able to return phone calls because you may need some time to process. And you may not be able to cook the meals because you're hurting. And you might need time to disconnect from your hobbies because on the other end of it, you realize there's some education that you're seeking so you can better understand what you're going through. And throughout the book, Jillian and her husband did a lot of Bible study, looking into different ideas of what the messages in the Bible mean. After decades of having certain things ingrained in us, it's hard to change the habits and it's hard to shift the mindset without the proper support and without the proper consistency. Jillian actually quotes Dr. Brene Brown, page 38 of the book. I'm quoting her quoting Dr. Brown. Our families and culture believed that the vulnerability that it takes to acknowledge pain was weakness. So we were taught anger, rage, and denial instead. 
She goes on to expound on vulnerability, not being weakness, and understanding that if we all gave a little bit more time to feel our emotions, it'll be easier to step into the path that we now have in front of us. And I can't help but see the parallel in these themes to the rising incidence of depression and other mental health issues in adults and children alike. Now, this isn't a part of me that I've shared before, but I have a history of depression. And even though I've worked really hard past being depressed, I still find myself having depressive episodes from time to time where I wake up and it's just a gloom that lingers where you just feel like you don't want to do the day. You don't want to have the conversations and see the people and do the things and staying in bed all day, maybe not eating, maybe not drinking, not getting things done that you know would benefit you seems like the better option. And I work really hard to bring myself out of that, but not by ignoring it. I'm very good at recognizing when I get there. As I'm recording this, I'm, I'm working through one of those weeks right now. But I'm very aware of it. And I'm aware that when I get the workout done, my mind is clearer. When I eat healthy foods, I'm more alert. I can focus better. And when I focus, I take action. And Casey Morris, a retired teacher, she hosts the CEO Teacher podcast and is someone I follow very closely. She reminds us that action brings clarity. So I'm well aware that overcoming and suppressing and pushing feelings away by just staying in bed does not lead to a better day the next day, but rather recognizing it, saying, okay, I see where I am. I'm going to acknowledge these feelings. I'm going to have them, but I'm not going to stay here. That's the key. And then, as I mentioned, it's, it's been about a week, but each day I've made some small changes towards coming out of that. Something else that Jillian discusses in her book that I relate to I can speak to this lived experience is relating to her through her successes, her unexpected moment of being in a place where her career was no longer an option because there was not even a TV studio for her to be an anchor of. She talks about how she always felt her best when she was elevated slightly above everybody else. Sounds a bit self-centered, I'll admit it, but I relate to it. I grew up overachieving. I grew up very successful academically. I grew up constantly hearing how proud people were of me, how impressive the things that I was doing were, and it really does just light you up inside. The way Jillian put it, she said her life was shiny, and I get it. I like being shiny. I like feeling like people say, wow, that's really great look, look at what she did, but it definitely leads you to a mindset where you feel like if you're not producing, you're not worthy. And I'm almost positive in episode one of drop the ball. I spoke to this a bit. So it was a great moment in this book for me to read Jillian's reminder that God established our worth the moment that he breathed life into us. I can't add to that worth. I cannot take away from that worth. So if I'm at a point in my life where I'm not producing at a high level or at any level, it doesn't take away my worth. Even the things that I accomplish, the shiny objects that the majority of Americans have decided signal success are not defined by God as something that makes me worthy. So I can enjoy the things that I do that put value into other people's lives. And I can enjoy the things that I do that create a response from other people. But I shouldn't directly tie it to my worth and allow it to have so much control over my moods on a regular basis. And part one was so heavy on those thoughts because when Jillian heard the diagnosis of her son Anderson, she admits to feeling like life was ending, like there was no way for this new child to have success that she had. 
to live a life that would be measured by others as successful. And she also admits that how guilty that made her feel, that it hurts for her to know that she once felt that way. But that was part of the undergoing. She had to face her misconceptions. She had to admit that she was completely ignorant to what having Down syndrome would mean. And in part two, as she sat through this pregnancy and all of these changes, she starts to discuss. And in part two, we get to see the transformation begin. The main idea was the importance of education. She didn't just have to accept that there was something more in her plan and move past feeling so negatively about it and feeling doomed. She had to move into the light of removing the ignorance around it and understanding that not only is this the path that she found her family on, but that it was brand new and she was not informed about what it would mean, what would come along with it, and she had to do that work. Nobody else could do it for her. And something that she says really hit home for me because it aligns so closely to the philosophy of having to drop the ball. She talks about how life is not linear and we have to move away from this idea that the path we're on is a straight one, where if we just follow it, everything falls into place as expected and instead realize that it's not going to be a neat route. We have to be ready to move through different obstacles, figure out how to continue on a path, but not necessarily the same way all the time. And just like if you were thinking about this literally, if you got stuck on a journey, on a path, and could not find how to continue forward, you would have to learn your surroundings and find a different way. Literally speaking, that's how you get yourself back on a path. And figuratively, that's exactly what you have to do. We can use the same word, but in the case of unexpected situations in life, now we're taking it figuratively. You have to find a new way to get yourself back on path. And really, I want you to think about something. It's part of life that we're met with challenges. Some people we meet, we find to be challenging people, not just situations. And I want you to think, how often have you spent your time in these challenges thinking it's the other person that needs to do the work? It's the other side of the challenge. It's the obstacle that needs to redirect and make accommodations for you? How often have you looked inward to say, what do I need to learn? What changes do I have to make so that I can better accommodate this situation into my path? Because at the end of the day, how much do we control these external forces? We can't control the words and the actions of the people around us. And we cannot always control our environment. So really, whether you agree with it or not, whether there's fault to be had in these other people and other obstacles, at the end of the day, the only person that you are in full control over is you. And it's a hard truth for some of us to have to face that we're the ones that are going to need to do some work. And Jillian Benfield says something similar on page 108, when she acknowledges that they kept praying for Anderson to be healed. So they were hoping to control the peace that was not controllable. They were praying that their path would get easier through him being healed and not having Down syndrome. But instead, she said that they discovered they had to be healed. I'm quoting, to be healed of our intellectual certainties. So she admitted that in their minds, they knew exactly how it had to be. That's what they needed saving from. They needed to open up their minds and say, this way, our way, it might not be the way. We need to be healed. We need to open our minds and we need to realize maybe we're praying for the wrong thing. So if we all could step outside of our 
preconceived notions about how any situation or any other human being should be, should act. And take a little bit of that time and that effort and that emotional labor and turn it to something that we can control and we can grow from. Well, if we all did a little bit more of that, just imagine how much more sympathetic to one another we would be, how much more compassionate and willing to hear other people we would be. It's another reason why I'm so thankful I'm reading this book, because as I said, I have people reaching out to me asking if I'm ever going to address the lifestyle of mothers with neuroatypical children. And rather than say, no, that's not my niche, I had to stop and think, I speak to mothers. I help mothers transform their chaos. Who am I to decide what chaos to speak to? Just because this doesn't fit nicely in the box of my life doesn't mean that it's not something I can step outside of what I know and learn more about. And I've enjoyed this process very much because I do. I have family members and friends in my life who have children with Down syndrome and with learning disabilities. And as a teacher, I have worked with numerous children who are neurodivergent. And I still, to this day, when I'm in the classroom, will meet so many different children with different needs. And all it can do is make me a better human. And part of why I bring this to you week after week with different topics and hearing from different people is because Regardless of what our road of motherhood looks like, we need to walk the road together. We may take a different turn here or there, but at some point we understand each other. Part of the book that I definitely have lived, but not to this extent, was when Jillian described the resentment she started to harbor towards her husband once Anderson was born and she was left home with him and their daughter day in and day out, doctor appointments, specialists, Therapy appointments, dirty diapers, lack of sleep, cleaning bottles, feeding children, and her husband got to go to work, have a separate purpose, speak to adults, have a lunch on his own, and that I feel like we all can relate to. That's why it's so important for us to have these conversations and find people that we can connect to in one way or another so that we're not alone and we can be heard and we can feel seen. And not every friend can be everything to you. You may have friends that help out by bringing a hot meal so you don't have to cook. And then you may have friends that are going through the same exact situation as you. And you can go to support groups together or share different resources of what you've learned about best practices for how to parent your child. And then you'll have family members who are able to come over and just hold that baby while you take a shower or do the load of laundry that you haven't gotten to yet. And then we cycle back to the vulnerability. Lo and behold, another misconception thrust upon us by society is that we have to do everything alone. To be viewed as successful, we have to be in isolation and independent of everybody else. And it's not really our victory if we didn't do it completely by ourselves. And it's bullshit. And I don't think I've cursed yet on this podcast, but that is worth it. There is no reason why anyone who does not want to do something alone should feel like they have to be alone. Jillian points out on page 117, humans have always been the vehicles of God's greatest plans. Now I'm quoting on page 132, when God wanted to start the Israelite nation, he sent a man to build it. He wanted to rescue the Israelites from slavery he sent a man to deliver them. When he wanted to spread the news of Jesus, he sent men and women to build the church. So it was a way for us to remember we've always been meant to be interconnected, to be dependent on one another. We all have gifts. We can all bring something different to enrich each other's lives. That does not make us weak. Receiving someone else's gift shining our own light upon others. None of us are weak for any of that. It's what actually makes us stronger. So whatever your unexpected moment is or your current struggle, I really, really hope that you are not struggling alone right now. 
And if you are, this is the one message of everything I'm saying that I hope that you grab onto. Find your people. Get your support. Ask for help. That's where strength lies. Recognizing it, admitting it, asking for help. I think the worst thing that we can feel as human with regards to our friends that have disabilities and their families and friends that might have gone through this realization as an unexpected moment, transforming out of feeling alone comes from some of the main themes that we already discussed, such as education, finding people going through similar things. Because when you're talking with people that can relate, you can make those connections that you might not otherwise have with people who can't relate and haven't experienced it. But then there's also the conversation about inclusion. And that was chapter eight. Chapter eight really started to discuss inclusion specifically to children with disabilities and children with Down syndrome, along with other peers. And that's something I'm going to speak more to next week in our interview, because that process takes a lot of work. And it's really important for our listeners to understand what goes into advocating for children that want to just be with other kids their age and not necessarily kept inside of this neat little box where other people think they belong. So that's a different fight. But what we can do right now, just as human beings going through any type of unexpected event or dealing with differences of our own or people that we love is just to remain sympathetic, continue to educate, be open to hearing other people's stories and be open to being a friend and being helpful. Be that person that can do God's work for someone else when we see the opportunity to. And I mean, in that idea alone, it really doesn't matter what the struggle is, but we've opened ourselves up, our hearts and our mind to be there for another human being, to offer them that camaraderie and that togetherness, whether we directly relate or not. And that's really where the difference between sympathy and empathy lie. Sympathy, of course, is when you make yourself emotionally available because you find that you can understand why someone's feeling how they do. Empathy is when you understand the actual emotions through having lived the same or similar situation. So that's the difference between empathy and sympathy. And I know that that's something that just in conversation, I hear people explain incorrectly. So for Jillian, for instance, people in her family or her friends that did not have children with any type of diagnosis, they can be sympathetic to her unexpected moment and to all of the changes that were going on in her life. But only people who also have children with disabilities or have gone through a similar type of diagnosis can truly be empathetic to what she and her husband were going through. And that's what's pretty cool about this is if you haven't realized, that means you have the opportunity to be empathetic or sympathetic to every person you meet, whatever their situation is. If it's similar to yours, you can be empathetic. And if it's not, you have the choice to open up your ears, lend a hand, and be sympathetic to whatever it is they might need. So understanding how we can be open to the transformation, open to the community, open to the education, so on and so forth, that summed up part two. And then part three is the gift of unexpected purpose and just the opening. I love the opening and I relate to it so much with my most recent transformation, which was leaving the classroom. So Jillian quotes A.R. Bernard. In the beginning of every part, she quotes someone else. And it's just like a small intro to the idea behind the part. When I read this, it, it had me pause. Your gifts, your talents, and abilities that are given to you by God, that remains consistent throughout your life. But how you apply that changes as you live life from one level to another. Whoo, my goodness. That's such validation for me. I hope that somebody out there listening right now feels it the way I do. 
because I am well aware that anytime I've had the idea to do something different, some other things have come up. I'm not even kidding. I wanted to make soap. At one point, I thought to myself, if I leave teaching, maybe I'll make soap and lip balms. I like those kind of things. I enjoy a good bar of soap. <laughs> but while those skills might be fun, that might be a hobby I might want to try at some point when I feel like I have a little bit of time. That's not the purpose that God gave me. God gave me the ability to speak to people, to hear people, to give advice. I mean, throughout the years, I've heard so much of the same feedback that I give great advice, that I'm such a great listener, that I'm inspiring, that I motivate people, they love to listen to me, so on and so forth. This was inevitable. Coaching others, a podcast. It goes without saying that this is what I was drawn to do. So again, it just confirms that the abilities that God gave you, that's not changing. That's in you. That's innate. That's part of your identity. But it's the matter of how you're going to apply it. So it really just, that sentence alone, I feel like just gave me permission to continue forward with everything that I have on my heart to do with these talents that I have at this point in my life. And it validates me and it comforts me in the fact that I walked away from how I was doing it at one point. Because in episode three, I believe, I talked about what it was like for me to leave the classroom and it was heartbreaking. But that being one of my unexpected moments, I mean, I planned for it. I knew that was something that I was looking at, but I think over the course of my adulthood, it's unexpected that I would have ever walked away from that career. But now I'm seeing through reading this book, through all of this insight, I didn't know what purpose God was putting before me to speak to women, to speak to other teachers, to professionals, to moms, to those of us that are struggling with everything I did leading up to that point where I had to walk away. <sighs> That's why we read though, right? That's why we, we take some of the time to connect to something from someone else other than who's in our surroundings on a daily basis, day in and day out. We need these opportunities. We need these moments to be seen. And that's really, that's really what all of this is. Whether you're listening to someone's podcast or you're reading a book by an author that you know you connect to, it's important for us to get that validation and feel like somebody understands. Somebody outside of those who may not truly at home. And I think it's important to acknowledge that in part three, Jillian makes a point of discussing how this whole process is hard. It is not easy to undergo this transformation because most of the time we're losing part of ourselves in the process. What we thought we should be or something tangible that we had is lost. It's not like it's this big revelation that's all excitement and bells and whistles, but rather there's hard work behind it. And hard work obviously implies that we have to take action. And that was a common theme through part three as well, that all of these changes, big moments for anyone, don't usually come without some sort of actual steps that have to be made, probably more than once. That requires time, it requires effort, presence, being intentional about what's going on around you and what choices you're making. And this can apply to so much, whether it's educating yourself in a disability that one of your children have, and now you need to make sure that you know everything about it. It could be recovering from an unexpected accident, and now you need to learn how to walk again. Or you need to learn how to do things differently in your life because something happened and you can't go on as before. It could be after addiction and you're trying to move forward on a daily basis with completely different habits and a completely different way of life despite having something in your mind telling you otherwise. We don't just reach the point of transformation, see that we're undergoing something and just have it as something to speak. I was transformed, period. 
It's not the end of the sentence. It's not the end of the story. And I know I keep referring to so many parts of this book as a favorite part or something that really brought something to light for me, but I'll say it again. Amanda, thank you. Thank you for recommending this book to me because it really was everything that you had anticipated it would be for where I'm at and what I'm trying to talk to people about. But there's part here that talks about us being uniquely qualified to help others because of our suffering. And I find that this idea comes up a lot when it has to do with being an entrepreneur or being a thought leader. I deal with it right now in this very new, very early stage of what I'm currently working on, which is connecting with as many women as possible. It's most often called imposter syndrome, and I can definitely speak to this more in a different episode. But so many times I've felt, who am I to do this work that I feel called to do? And that really can apply to any area. Whatever you feel like you're being called to help with, you may question yourself as being the person that's able to do that. Especially when there's so many other people already out there doing similar things. But the difference is your unexpected moment, your suffering, however you want to describe it, that is your own. No one else has the same story as you. Maybe something similar, maybe something that you can relate to, but literally no one has lived your life. That in and of itself makes you uniquely qualified for whatever it is that you're trying to do. When you put your story behind it, when you put your emotions and your transformation and the actions you took and how it felt for you and how it changed things for you, you can share that with someone else and you can be their support system. The hard part with that is the idea that you have to actually share that pain and suffering and transformation and story with others. If they don't know your story, they can't relate to it because they haven't heard it. So there's a lot of talk in part three. I mentioned sympathy versus empathy before, but it's in part three that Jillian really gets into that where she compares it, but then also emphasizes the fact that we're not an empathy-filled country in the United States. And it really takes a lot of inward work as well, even just to be able to be empathetic towards others. But this all goes back to those expectations that I mentioned earlier. If we're living in a society that doesn't value vulnerability because it equates it to weakness and we are so success-driven here, then naturally it would lead to the fact that empathy is not valued either. Because empathy is when we then admit we had a weakness. We had a vulnerable moment, a breaking point, an unexpected transformation, pain, loss. And in doing so, our Western society makes us feel that we are less than. So until we can move forward past those misconceptions, gain enough strength and comfort in ourselves with the support systems and the education mentioned in part two, we won't be able to move forward to walking in that new purpose, which is part three. So we see how this is all connected. Every single part here has been so beautifully written and sewn together that even if you didn't read it, that right there just sums it up for you. Break past society's expectations be willing to educate yourself and surround yourself with people that are going to build you up and help you through, and then be willing to share that story, to admit what you've gone through and how you've transformed from it so that that can then be someone else's light, someone else who's in that beginning stage that you once were. Now they see a pathway to what you've become. Through the end of part three, Jillian speaks very specifically to different challenges and triumphs that Anderson had throughout the early years of his life. And again, we'll relate to a lot of those more next week. But 
what I loved about the towards the end of this book was when she showed us the transition between when she would justify and rationalize her transformation and then shifted to not doing that. And she said it was when she exchanged the words, but for the word and you don't have to justify why you once felt frustrated, forsaken, helpless, angry, any of it. It was part of the journey. You can move away from but and move towards and. Own both parts. A tangible example of that, one phrase that she said was when she would say, parenting a child with a disability is hard, but sometimes I forget mine even has one. That's on page 178. When then instead, she moved towards using the word and to acknowledge the existence of all of these different emotions, of every single piece of the transformation and the journey, the undergoing. Parenting a child with a disability is the most difficult thing I've ever done, and I wouldn't trade it. It's okay that she can admit this is challenging. Admitting that it's challenging doesn't take away from the fact that she's transformed and she loves this journey that she's on now. And she loves the purpose that she stepped into and who she is for her son and who her son is. When we know that she's already admitted there was a time when she couldn't imagine feeling like he would have a life to celebrate. And that's a huge shift from the way that we heard her speak in the beginning of the book. Jillian ends the book with diving more into the story of how not only did she find herself transformed for how she was as a mother and for her family, but getting back that shiny part of herself. And so many of us moms, I know, do not feel shiny. We feel like we've lost who we are. We feel like we only serve other people and what they want, maybe not even in the form of ways that make us happy. And we heard the story of Jillian losing that part of her life as a TV news anchor. And she talked about how losing that part of her was another way that she kept herself in a box. She didn't choose to walk away from being a TV anchor the way I chose to walk away from teaching. It was taken from her. And then she was home with Anderson. And when she started to try to go back to work and could not get that position, she at first said, if that's not what I'm going to be, then I'm not going to work. I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. But part of the transformation, like I described for myself earlier with these talents, she realized that telling other people's stories is very similar to the skill set that she needed to tell her own. The fact that I'm even able to do an episode on her book is showing that she stepped out of the box she put herself in and her abilities and her personality traits that limited her to thinking she could only be shiny in one way. So just as I felt a calling out of the classroom and into a different light, you too can find yourself feeling shiny again. And you may not know what it is right away, but if you hold on to the fact, like we were reminded as we began part three, that your talents and your skills and your gifts are the same ones that you've always had, but we're going to repurpose them and we're going to evolve and grow with them into different opportunities, you're now giving yourself permission to see those possibilities as they arise. And you might need to do a little bit of work. A lot of what we ask you on a weekly basis to be able to drop a ball or pick up a glass one requires a little bit of reflection. So Jillian encourages us at the end of the book to really connect back to what it is that makes us happy. What types of opportunities do we like to take? What would it look like if we were to step into a different situation where we could see ourselves being happy? And also to find a pain point because that's just more validation for everything she's telling us about transformation. Most of what we choose to act upon comes from a pain point. Something in our life that's causing discomfort that we know we have to move away from. There are healthy and unhealthy ways to do that. 
Obviously, I hope that we're all finding the best choices and the healthiest ways to handle our pain points. But if you're looking to find a way to repurpose who you are at this season of your life, it may come down to exactly what your pain point was and finding a way to help ease that of others. You may be the person who really wants to make the soap and the lip balms. Like I said, I thought that was me for a minute. I was craving self-care and comfort. And I'm pretty sure that's where that idea was born from. How can I help women take care of themselves? There's someone that's doing that. You can do it too. Maybe you want to speak to people like I do. Maybe you want to be part of an outreach for a specific group of people that you empathize with. But that's really my final calling for you on this week's episode. We've reviewed this book. We understand why we come to form the ideas and the expectations we do. We understand some of the ways that we can break through them, undergo the hard parts of our lives, and make progress forward, and be able to then accept that we are the same person, but with new perspective and on a new path with renewed purpose. So that's what I task you with this week. Look inward, accept all of the parts of you, and use all of your gifts to move forward with purpose. Of course, if you have not read The Gift of the Unexpected by Jillian Bedfield, I highly recommend that you do. And I look forward to bringing you next week's interview. And that's a wrap on an episode of Drop the Ball. I'm so blessed to have shared this time with you today, and I'm grateful that you tuned in to listen. I hope you're leaving today with something valuable to take with you and some action steps to put into place for your journey. Whether it's just me sharing my insight or we have someone bringing something into view, I ask that you please share this podcast so that others can be affected the way that you were today. And I'd love for you to subscribe to this podcast so that you can stay up to date with everything that Drop the Ball has to bring in the future. Don't forget to find me and follow me on social so that we can continue the conversation and I can bring more value to you in other ways. And it's a great platform for you to be able to get in touch with me and share your thoughts, your ideas, and your questions for future episodes. And give yourself permission to drop the ball so you can redesign your chaos and redefine your life. This has been Gina Kuhn with Drop the Ball. Thank you.